Thank you, man. Bless you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuel. Well, today I want to talk to you about attitudes and particularly I want to talk about the attitude of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, I was like, you know, Lord, I want to do some Christmas stuff. It's like it's December. You ever try to remind the Lord of stuff? No. And uh, I really felt very strongly to, to uh, go in this direction. And then I, I remembered, you know, this is the time of the year, literally, that more people suffer from depression than any other time of the year. More suicides take place in December than any other time. And people look back at a year, at what went wrong. They look back at relationships and family problems. And, and so often people end up focusing on the wrong things. And we're going to be talking today and probably next week as well about praise and thanksgiving, which really is the greatest mental health healing agent that there is. It talks about it in Romans chapter one. But let's begin in first Corinthians chapter nine, where Paul says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for of necessity for necessity is laid on me. Yes. woe is me if I don't preach the gospel? For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Now, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if my God has called me to preach, he said, and if I do it willingly with a good attitude, I'm going to get a reward. But if I do it because I have to with a crummy attitude, there's no reward. So what God is saying is this. He's saying what you do is not as important as the attitude that you do it with. You can do the right thing with a wrong attitude and God will not receive it. Right. But if you do it with the right attitude, you're going to have a reward. You know, we can have bad attitudes, negative, stingy, ungrateful, unappreciative, unwilling, resentful, rebellious attitudes. Chuck Swindle wrote something several years ago that I thought was worthwhile reading to you. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, money, than circumstances, than failure, than success, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, than giftedness or skill. It will make or break a church, a company, a home. And I would add to that an individual. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that's our attitude. He said, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. You know, I believe that that is true, that attitude is so important and especially the attitudes of praise and thanksgiving, having thankful hearts. It affects every aspect of our life. It affects our relationship with God. It affects as we stand against the enemy of our soul. It affects our emotional well-being. It affects everything. And I don't believe that there is victory in the Christian life without an attitude of thanksgiving and praise. And it needs to be something that's not just done on the weekend 
or when we're in a corporate setting, it needs to be something that's in our heart and comes out of us daily. It ought to spring out of our relationship with God. And I want you to remember that that's what God desires. He desires relationship. So often what we try to do is we try to be accepted by God based on the things that we do. I do this, I do that, I sacrifice this, I've done the other. But that's not what God's looking for at all. And so often our prayer time that we have with God is nothing more than our petition time. I would like this, I would like that, I'd like the next thing. As I've said before, look at your prayer life and if God answered all your prayers, if the only thing that would change is your life and your family, uh, it's pretty small. It is pretty small. It needs to be much bigger. But think about this. God creates Adam and Eve and places them in this beautiful garden. Now, in Revelation chapter 4 in verse 11, it tells us that everything that was created was created for his pleasure. For his pleasure. That's what, by the way, when people try to find the purpose to life and they begin with themselves, they're never going to find it. They always end up empty. They end up with, well, there really is no purpose to life. Because you cannot find the purpose to life starting with yourself. You need to start with the creator, the one who created you. And the Bible says that you were created for his pleasure. So let's look at the beginning. God creates this earth. He puts Adam and Eve in this beautiful, beautiful garden. And the Bible says that every evening God would come down in the cool of the day and God would fellowship. He would walk and he would talk with Adam and Eve. Now, now get this. They did not go and say, God, we need money to make the house payment. Eve was not going, God, you need to straighten Adam out. They did not have any needs. They didn't need any healing. They didn't have any bills to pay. There was no past to overcome. There was nothing. And the only thing that they did was they spent time with God. Can you imagine them? They're in, they're in the garden and, and Adam goes, wow, God, that is an awesome tree that you made there. And that, the, the taste of that guayabana, man, that is awesome. Man, I love those guayabana smoothies. I mean, but you know what they're doing? They're just enjoying God. They're enjoying God. And so often what Christians do, their, their relationship with God seems to be based on what I do for God but how many of you know Adam and Eve, there was nothing they were doing. All they did was just fellowship with God. Their, their relationship was not based on God answering their needs like God was some sort of a cosmic bellhop. No, it was just fellowship. And really, that is a good picture of what our relationship with God should look like. It should not be just when you sit down and pray a prayer and say, God, help me with this and help me with that. We're supposed to walk with God. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. He lived his life with God. Everywhere he went, he was God conscious. Elijah, the prophet, he stood in front of the king. He said this several times. He said, you know, the Lord in whose presence I stand. He, every place he went, he said, man, God's with me. I'm fellowshipping with God. I, I, I'm enjoying this with God. And, and, and our relationship with God needs to be not based at all on what we do for God. It needs to be based on fellowship and communion with God and his love for us and our love for him. Now, let me just, just, just say that, that, that thankfulness and, and appreciation and praise, they, they, they are foundational 
in relationship and in intimacy. Um, Jeannie and I have some people that we're acquainted with. Don't try to figure out who this is because you don't know. I promise you, you don't know. Okay. And uh, they, they had been married for some time and, and they decided to separate. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time to separate when there's abuse. There is. There should never be abuse. Physical abuse, there's, there's no excuse. But that wasn't the case. They were just having some differences of opinion. And they said, we're going to separate so that we can get closer and appreciate each other more. How many have heard that saying, you, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder? That's from the pit of hell. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Appreciation makes the heart grow fonder. That's what makes the heart grow fonder. I, I know in, in, in my relationship with, 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 with my wife, Jeannie, you know, I am thankful. And I tell her all the man, man, you are amazing. You do this and you, you've done that. And just your attitude about this. And, and you've put up with me for 42 years. You are an amazing, amazing woman. All right. You know, that's, that's the type of things that brings intimacy, not being farther away. Not absence, but appreciation brings intimacy and makes the heart grow fonder. And the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. And remember, we were created to give God pleasure. And praise and thanksgiving bring pleasure to God. They bring pleasure to God. Uh, you know, when it doesn't matter pretty much anything I'm going to do. I try to take genie along. If, if, if I'm going to go to a movie, I want Jeannie. If I'm going to the bookstore, I want Jeannie. If I'm going shopping, I want Jeannie. If I'm going preaching, I want Jeannie. If, 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 if I'm going hunting, baby, get your bow. You're coming with me. We're, 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 I want to do everything with her. All right. I don't want to be I don't want to be separated from her because we've got this relationship and that's how it should be with God. Everything we're going to do, we ought to be saying, God, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. The benefits of praise and thanksgiving, they're, they're, they're just all through the Bible. But I want to bring up one of them to begin with today, and that's the benefit of peace. In Isaiah 26, in verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, notice you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We, we need to keep our mind focused on the Lord, focused on his promises and his blessings. You know, to me, a great illustration of this is David when he goes in 1 Samuel chapter 17 to fight against Goliath. Now, first of all, Goliath has been coming out for 40 days, every morning, every night. And he says to the men of Israel and to King Saul, he says, send me a man to fight with me. And if I kill him, you will be our slaves as he kills me. We will be your slaves. He says, I defy the armies of God. Send me a man to fight with me. And the Bible says this guy, he's huge. He's like 10 foot tall. And, and the Bible says they're all full with fear. But David comes and he hears the same thing. The giant said the same thing. But David was thinking differently. He went down and he began to talk to the giant about his God. And he said, today, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. And I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. And not only that, 
He said, I'm going to give the, the armies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And everyone's going to know that there is a God in Israel. Now, here's what a lot of people do. Listen, we're not like David. We're like, we're like Israel and King Saul. We just focus on our problem. We say, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the money to make the car payment and I don't have the money for the house payment. And God, I have no idea where the money's going to come from. The bill collectors are calling every day. God, they say they're going to come. They're going to repossess my car. They're going to come. They're going to take my house. And God, the job's not going that good. And I'm probably going to lose the job. And who knows what's happening with the economy and all the stuff is going to the third world and my job, I don't know. And God, what are you going to do? And God, my kids, I don't know. I'm going to feed them. And what am I going to do? I got to get clothes for them. It's winter time. And where's the food going to come from? And God, we got all these problems. Help me. Now, all we do is talk about how bad it is. We talk to God for 10 minutes about how bad the situation is, and then we give him five seconds help. Now, now really, that's not praying, that's griping. But, but that's, this is what it's like. I've got my binoculars here. When we focus on God and begin to be thankful to God, it magnifies the Lord. That's what it says in Psalms 69. David said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, when we focus on God's promises and what God has done, it magnifies things. It's like looking through binoculars, right? You, you begin to see God is bigger. You see those promises and those promises, they just get bigger and bigger. I'm looking for Pam and Gary. They tell me they're always in the balcony, but I can't see without these suckers. I'm finding out that they're there today. But what happens when we focus on the problem is like you turn your binoculars around. Anybody ever look through binoculars backward? That thing, that, 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 that thing that's really close, look, L's right there, I think. I mean, it looks like he is 250 yards away. And when we focus on the problem, what happens is this. The problem gets bigger, but God gets smaller and smaller. It's like God is getting farther and farther away and his promises and his help and his mercy and his grace. They just get farther and farther away instead of getting closer and closer. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in the Lord, because you put your trust in him. Another great example of this is Elijah. Now, God comes to this prophet Elijah and the nation of Israel has really been abandoning God. And he says, go to King Ahab. He's king of the 10 tribes that have separated and say to him, thus says the Lord, there'll be no rain. There'll be no dew these years until I say so. And then God tells him, go and hide by the brook cherub. And he hides by the brook. And every morning and every evening, a raven comes and he's got bread and he's got meat. Sounds like a whopper. They just need ketchup. But after the brook dries up, God sends him to Seraphath. And he said, there's a widow there who's going to take care of you. And sure enough, there's a widow, but she's only got a little bit of oil in the bottom of a vessel and one handful of flour. And you know the story. He said, honor God first, make me a cake. And this is what the Lord says. That oil will keep on pouring for years. And that bent of flour, it's not going to run out until rain comes on the earth. And of course she did and God did. And there was this miracle again. Then he goes to Mount Carmel. He prays and fire comes from heaven and consumes the offering in front of all Israel. They kill the 450 prophets of Baal. Then he climbs up on Mount Carmel and he begins to pray. And a cloud like a man's hand comes out of the Mediterranean Sea. 
and it literally, the lightning, thunder, rain, it's black. There hasn't been rain in three and a half years. He prays and it comes. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on the prophet. He, he girded up his loins and he outran the king's chariot all the way to Jezreel, about 18 miles. He outruns the chariot. How many of you know, so far, this has been a good day for the prophet. And then the Bible says that his wife, the prophet, the, the uh, king's wife, Jezebel, sends word and says, by this time tomorrow, your life is going to be just like one of the prophets that you killed. And I quote, when he saw that, when he saw that, he turned and he ran into the desert. When he began to focus on the wrong thing, he ran out into the desert, laid down under a tree and said, God, kill me. He gets depressed. He gets suicidal when he is focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on what God had done and what God had told him was going to happen, he focused on the wrong thing, the word of a wicked queen who said, I'm going to kill you. And when that happened, he literally lost what God had for him. He lost focus of it and did not grab it. So he goes and he's hiding in a cave. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel has forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left, and they seek to take my life. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And it says, and the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And God spoke to the prophet. You know, what we want is we want an earthquake. We want the fire. We, we, we want the shaking when the wind comes by. We want something spectacular. But God speaks in a still, small voice. And here's what happens to a lot of us. We just get so busy, 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 busy. Go, go, go. In, in fact, we can't sit still and do nothing for two minutes. If you are sitting someplace alone for 30 seconds, you got your phone out, you're on the news, you're checking your messages, you're texting somebody. It's just go, 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 go. And the result is God's speaking to us, but we don't hear. Because God, when you're, when you're going to hear, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Now, I, I want to confess to you one of my, this is like a sin to me. But so often when God speaks to me, it's first thing in the morning, right when I wake up. You say, why is that? Because I'm too busy the rest of the time. It's like he can't get through because it's go, 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 go. And, and, and literally, I have worked to put times in my day to be still, to seek the Lord and to hear God. Because you're not going to hear God when it's just go, 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 go. When you've got no time for, for, for the Lord, when you're constantly on the move, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is focused on you. And we need to keep our focus on the Lord, not on our problems, but we need to keep our focus on the Lord. Now, uh, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he's coming down the Mount of Olives and at the bottom of the mount, the little Kidron Valley, and then right on up into the Temple Mount. 
But the, you, you remember the day the disciples have brought a donkey and Jesus is on the donkey. And as he comes up over the top of the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that the, the people of Jerusalem are coming out and they're greeting him and they've got palm branches in their hands and they're waving them. And now, by the way, the palm branch in the Bible, it's a sign of victory. It's, it's, it's like the checkered flag or the blue ribbon or the gold medal. In fact, if you look at the temple of Ezekiel, the temple, the millennial temple that's going to be built, there's palm branches by the doors because God's people are a people of victory. In God's house, it's a house of victory. But they're waving those palm branches and they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at that time, some of the religious leaders are saying to, to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. He's saying this is, this is praise. But the interesting thing is Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Psalms, the eighth chapter, which says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. So he's saying praise and strength. What praise brings is it brings strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He's saying when you praise God, it's like you shut the devil up. In fact, if you aren't doing, listen, if you are not doing any praising, the devil thinks he's winning. But when you begin to praise God and to thank God and to have a thankful heart, it silences the enemy. Great example of this is Jehoshaphat. Uh, he gets word that he is being there's a sneak attack. The, the Moabites, the Edomites, and Mount Seir, three nations have come, and they are literally 24, 24 hours away, right, when he finds out about it. He calls the people together. They fast. They pray. They get a word from God. And the Bible says that he sends the choir in front of the army. Now, how many of you know you, you, ought, to be, you ought to be sending in your Marines? First wave. Right? That ought to be the Marines. But instead of the Marines or the special forces of the IDF, he gets the choir. And he puts the choir in front. And the choir begins to sing. And they're saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the Bible says when they begin to sing that God set ambushments against the enemy. Now, how many of you know when God starts ambushing you, you're in trouble? In fact, in fact, it was so dramatic that the enemy, these three nations start to fight each other and they killed each other to the last man. And when the singers got there, the enemy was already defeated. You know, when you begin to praise, God begins to move on your behalf. And, and we, we need to remember that. It, even, even the medical profession Statistically, they show that happy, joyful, thankful people are healthier than people who are morbid, sad, and depressed. It, praising the Lord, it is good for you even if you look in the natural. The Bible even says that a merry heart, it does good like a medicine. Now, we've got a great example of this in the Apostle Paul. This is what he says. He says, in labors more abundant, stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths often five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. 
in journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And this is what he said about all that stuff. For our light affliction. Five times, 39 stripes, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, three times beaten with rods. That's when they would take off your shoes or your sandals and they would take and put your feet in stocks and then beat them with a rod until they broke bones. Three times. But our light affliction is blood for a moment. Most Christians today, if the snowblower breaks down, you think it's the tribulation. What's going wrong? This is terrible. God, why have you forsaken me? All right. But our light affliction, what is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen, they are eternal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it's our light affliction. It's just for a moment in light of eternity. What happens right now is just a flash. It's just a moment. But we need to have our focus not on this life, but we need to be setting our affection on things above. We need to realize this is not all there is. This is just the beginning. All right. There is an eternity when we're going to be with the Lord. Paul from prison, he writes and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice. Now, anybody can rejoice and shout and praise and give thanksgiving when the victory's won, when the giant is down and his head's cut off, when the project's complete. Right. But I want you to listen as the Israelites are, have come back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple. And it says all the people shouted with a great shout. When they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And it said they could hear them a great distance off. Now, they did not shout at the dedication ceremony. They shouted when the foundation was laid. When they saw the first little bit of progress moving towards what God had called them to do, they began to shout and they began to praise. And I want to encourage you, you should never wait until the giant is defeated. You shouldn't wait until dedication day. You shouldn't wait until you have total manifestation of what you're looking for. You should begin to praise God immediately when you see any progress moving in the right direction. You ought to praise God looking back at what he's done for you. In fact, I'd like you to stand up right now, lift your hands, and you begin to praise God, begin to thank him for what he's done in your life. You have manifestation you're beginning to see. You begin to thank him. Listen. Hold it. Hold it. You did better than that for Jerusalem. Now, this is for the king. Begin to praise. Begin to thank him. Say, praise God. Hallelujah. I thank you. I thank you for healing. I thank you for provision. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you. You're moving on my behalf. I thank you. The lost persons in my family are getting saved. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. All right. Now, sit down for two minutes. Let me close. Colossians 2, verse 6, says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
So walk in him. Now listen, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Established in faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an important part of faith. In fact, where there is no thanksgiving in praise, you're not abounding in faith. When you abound in faith, there is thanksgiving in praise. We can say this, that thanksgiving and praise is a thermometer. It tells your spiritual condition. When there's a lot of thanksgiving, when you abound in thanksgiving and praise, it's because your faith is abounding. It's strong. But when there's no thanksgiving and praise, it is a thermometer. It's telling you, look, you're hoping something's going to happen. You, you're, you're, you're thinking maybe it will, but you're not in faith. You need to get in faith because faith will abound in thanksgiving and in praise. Faith is incomplete without praise. Praise is a super important part of our faith. And when our faith is in full manifestation, we, when we're established in faith, when your faith is strong, you will abound with thanksgiving. You'll abound with praise to God because you realize, just like David, I don't thank God when the giant's dead. I thank him as I'm going into the battle because I know what he is going to do. Faith isn't what you see right now. Faith is what you believe God is going to do for you. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, not seen. And as you begin to praise and to thank God, it establishes you in faith. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know, you're here today, but you're not where you should be with God and you know you're not. I want to talk to you for just a moment. First of all, realize the Bible teaches it's not good people that go to heaven but forgiven people that go to heaven, that everyone's welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. What he's saying is that all of your efforts to be right with God can never make you right with God. All of my efforts, all of my good works can never make me right with God. Jesus went to the cross and paid for your sin. And he's saying he's the only way to be right with God. He said you must be born again. It means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your, of your heart, of your life. Now, you may say, but, but I, I know about God. I know about Jesus. You know, we all celebrate Christmas and, and Easter. And you know about Jesus in your head. But salvation is not about your head. Salvation is about your heart. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. He's saying you need to give me all of your heart and all of your life. And when you do that, he will supernaturally forgive you. He will make you a new person on the inside, a part of his kingdom today and forever. And if you're here, you're away from the Lord, I'm gonna to count to three. When I say three, please lift your hand. We're gonna to pray together and God's gonna meet you right here in this place. Or you may be like millions of people who simply don't know where they stand with God. If I say, are, are you a Christian? You say, I hope so, I'm trying to be. But the Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. You're supposed to know you're forgiven. Know you're right with God. 
No, you're on your way to heaven. And if you do not know that for sure, you're not where you should be. And this is for you also. When I say three, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here in this place. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm giving Jesus all my heart, all my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm receiving Jesus. He is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom today and forever. Three. Just lift that hand up. I see that hand and 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 that hand. Are there others? Please include, just say, include me up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Others, listen, I say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to be included. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Include me. All right. Would everybody please stand, but nobody moving. And if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is. Bring the person you came with. Bring your coat. Bring your purse. Whatever you need. In the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you. But make your way to that aisle. Make your way right down here. We're going to pray and God is going to meet you in this place. When we say amen, there's going to be a miracle that takes place in your heart, in your life. You're going to pass from death to life. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my father who is in heaven. Come on down. Awesome. God bless you right over here. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. There are several hands over here. Just please make your way down. This is your day. Awesome. Awesome. And from the balcony, if you will come down, we're going to wait for you. We're going to pray. God is going to meet you right here today. Awesome. Come on over here, guys. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever. That means you. This is going to work for you. You are the whosoever the Bible talks about. Right? Then it tells us what to do. It says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible shows us to. Right? Now the last part of this verse is God's promise to you. This is what it says. We'll be saved. So you do this from your heart, you're going to be saved. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. God's going to do something supernatural in your heart today. Right? So here's what we're going to do. Everybody, please take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud and make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you have heard my prayer that I am forgiven, that my past is gone, that I am a part of your family today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, 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 awesome. Most important decision.